This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Barrett to start the show this afternoon and there's a reason why I'm playing that is that uh, there is there was great debate in the House of Assembly this afternoon ostensibly about the condition of uh, Frank Roberts Jr. High in CBS but it uh, made a big revelation about rats in the capital city and I want to talk a little bit about that a little later on the show if you have had experience with rats as well I would encourage you to give us a call but first First, a Bonavista woman and her family are left in a strange regulatory limbo following a house fire in the town back in March. Wanda Stagg's home was extensively damaged by an electrical fire, forcing her and her two children to seek out another place to live. The problem, according to Stagg, is that unbeknownst to her, her property was a designated heritage property, and she cannot get a permit from the town to allow demolition of the home, which the insurance company says cannot be repaired. She has a replacement policy which will only allow her to rebuild on the existing lot. Stag brought uh, sorry, bought the house four years ago in a private transaction with the previous owners who she says never divulged the home's heritage status. I bought this house not knowing it was historical. Uh, the owner, the previous owner didn't know it was historical so therefore I did not have insurance that consists of anything to do with an historical home. Now I was thinking that the exchange of land from me to the previous owner when we went to the town office I'm thinking I should have been informed I should have had the opportunity to buy an historical home or not. Well, the town offered Stag another piece of property on which to build a home for $1, but she claims that will deny her her insurance payment for the damaged property. Mayor John Norman told VOCM Open Line with Patty Daly this morning the onus is on property owners to know the heritage status of their home. There is a certain responsibility, and to some this may sound harsh or cold, but it's simply reality, and our lawyer of municipal affairs backs us up on this. There is the responsibility for an owner to investigate further the property in which they're buying. Norman is tied to a company that restores heritage property. Stag questions whether the mayor is in a conflict of interest in the case, something that Norman denies. One of my staff will often call someone if it's in a heritage area or it's a heritage house that we think we would like to try to save, uh, would reach out. The homeowner, as in this case, as in many other cases, says, no, no, I'm not interested in selling. And that's the end of it. Uh, there really isn't anything there. We've discussed this with our uh, lawyer multiple times, including in this case. We've also discussed it in detail with municipal affairs, and I'm quite confident in saying there is no conflict of interest. Well, here with her response to that is Wanda Stagg. Wanda Stagg, you were on open line this morning explaining your situation. You and I spoke yesterday, but you wanted to wait until after your meeting last night. So how did that go? Uh, the meeting went, um, it, I'm, uh, I, I can say mediocre, uh, because I didn't get the outcome that I wanted, and obviously from one meeting I wasn't going to get that outcome, but at the end of the day, what they're telling me is um, they have money, funds that they can restore, uh, restore an historical property, okay, which is my, apparently, my house is deemed historical. I, knew, I had no knowledge of it, none whatsoever, I'll tell this how it happened. Um, 
So they're saying that they need to get somebody to come out to go inside my house and look and see what they think of it before they can move forward with anything. If it's deemed by somebody from the historical society or, or inspector uh, that it is fit to repair, then they want me to repair this house and move back in that way, the historical way. Now, my house, uh, to start with, is not historical at all. I have vinyl windows, ordinary shingling, uh, vinyl siding. There's a big patio out over my house that's very modern. A uh, big front modern door, new, was put in by the previous owners probably like eight or nine years ago. So, I mean, it's, it's the house, nobody in this town, everybody is in shock to find out that my house is historical. So, And I understand knows. when you bought it, you mentioned this to me yesterday, but you, I understand when you bought it, it had all been fully renovated. Yep. So. Were there any heritage features left over when once it was renovated? Not one, nothing. There's absolutely nothing in that house that would come out to be an historical feature. Nothing. A uh, house that's chip rock true. Ah, uh, new modern cupboards, cabinets put in the kitchen. Uh, modern bathroom. Everything. Everything is modern. There's nothing historical. Not one feature of my home is historical. So this is what I'm not understanding. Now, I can understand the, uh, the heritage part of Bonavista. I respect the heritage part of Bonavista. Proud of where I'm from. But I think that when it comes in to um, a resident losing their home, not knowing it was historical, uh, with a rebuild policy that states that I can only rebuild on my land to get the full amount, or i got to take a sub- substantial loss, I'm not going to be able to buy build another house anywhere else in the town, even though the town has offered me a piece of land. They have. Uh, but that piece of land is no good to me if I don't have money to build it. Like, And they don't have any money in, in their funds, uh, according to what they tell me, to give me to help with the rebuild of another house. This is there. So you're in in limbo. Where are you staying now? What you know? Uh, I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm fortunate right now. The first of the wall was fortunate too, but I'm not. In, I wasn't in a house. Um, a guy here in Bonavista who owns the cabins and Kate, really beautiful cabins, by the way. But it's not a home. Uh, we stayed there for five weeks in his cabins, and they, they with the movie and everything being made there, everything is booked. Everything is booked up here. There isn't a rental in Bonavista, by the way. Not one. Uh, I don't understand why. Uh, if they were so concerned about me, uh, the mayor himself in his own where, uh, place that he got shares in, I don't know what, uh, amount, what amount of shares he got in it, but anyway, <clears throat> why didn't he approach me then? <clears throat> me and my kids standing outside, devastated outside of the house, you would think that's when your mayor and your your town, you know, the people from the council would step in and say, what can we do to help? I heard nothing until I went to get a permit to rebuild. Nothing. So where are you now? You were in a cabin uh, for a actually, period of time. I'm in a house now because the gentleman, I'm in a house of um, the one who owns the cabin. I don't know if I can say his name. I'd like to because it, it was very nice of him to do that. Um, but anyway, he moved out of his house. So me and my kids would have a house to stay in uh, until I got a house built. And that could be a while yet. Uh, I'm not expecting anything because in the beginning, when, when we, when I moved in here, uh, my insurance was settled, uh, the contractor was ready to rebuild my house. So uh, they were hoping, they were telling me that we were going to get in, uh, a new home 
by September. When the kids go back to school in September, we were going to be in a new home, uh, like our own home. But it's not going to be that way now. It's going to be a long, long, the way I see it, it's going to be quite a while before I'm in a home of my own. And I'm not going to be in a home of my own unless uh, the historic society who wants to take over my home is willing to pay the remainder of what I need to put in another home. How are your kids doing? My kids are devastated. Uh, my son just said to me this weekend, it was like, Mom, when is our life house going back? Like, when are we going to get in a house? When is our life going to go back to normal? And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It's going to be a fall. And then, I, of course, then my, da- my daughter is, is graduating next year. <clears throat> she's, she's studying very hard in school. She's working really hard to go and do her nursing. Uh, this, is, this is really affecting her. It is. It's, a, it's, a, it's affecting her grades. It's not fair to them as well as me. It's not just about me, it's about me and the two kids. So, Wanda, what happens next? Uh, well, I have to make a couple of calls today. Um, uh, I will call because I, I called health and safety because, of course, they need, they need to be informed. And they told me that I have to go to the fire chief here in Bonavista. So he'll go in my home. And then, well, you know, just, I guess he gets to decide if the house is not fit to win because of the chemicals he sprayed in. Uh, then we have to wait for the town to give um, to come up with somebody to go in from the historic inspector to see. Uh, I'm hoping that they're going to come up with someone this week. Now I had mentioned to them at the meeting yesterday that, and and I, this is my choice. I need to know the name of the person that they're sending in because I don't want any conflict. If, and most of the historical stuff that's around here, of course, the mayor's involved in. So they, if, if they got any doings with him and his private company, I don't want him going into my house. Because to me, it's a conflict of interest. He may say it's not, but to me, it is. In the meantime, that, that house, is is it open to the elements? Is, you know, the rain and that getting in there? Uh, no, my brother got stuff boarded off and stuff. But, I mean, there is openings there that I would say it's probably soon going to be animals, like pigeons and things getting in there. I, I can see that. Uh, it, it's barred off. And, I got, of course, I got insurance kept on it for... Reason for safety reasons. Anybody going, they could get hurt. It's an eyesore to the town. Uh, it's right where I'm located. It's a beautiful spot, by the way. Um, it's right across the street from where all the buses come with the bus tours for the for going right to the historical part of the town. And who's put all the signs up on the house? Me. I have signs put everywhere. <clears throat> I will continue to have signage around my house. Uh, I will continue to protest. Because it's my given right to do that. Do I not? Do I want to be doing this? It's consuming all of my time. It's taking time away from me, with even with my kids, because I got to be dealing with this every day. Uh, I had to, I missed two and a half weeks of work for after the fire was over, just trying to get us settled somewhere and try to figure things out. So I mean, it's it's really affecting my day to day living. Not mine, ours, even the kids, all of us. Wanda Stagg, I do appreciate your time this afternoon. Keep us up to date, will you? I sure will. Thank you so much. And Wanda Stagg, of course, is in Bonavista, and she's in a, a, a predicament. There is a little doubt. Well, coming up, 
uh, when we come back after the break. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what happened in the House of Assembly today and the revelation that there is a bit of a rat problem in the capital city region. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. I don't know what I would do if I found a rat in my kitchen, but apparently <laughs> there's quite a few out there. And the reason why I'm raising this now, Claudette, and we'll have a chat about this in a moment, is because it came up in the House of Assembly. Now, it's not in the kind of place that you would be expecting. There's a lot of political to and fro and butting of heads in the House this afternoon. But if you listen carefully, it gets down to some pretty brass tacks when it comes to this issue. So um, uh, uh, as I just indicated, the, the debate on the state of Frank Roberts Jr. High and CBS devolved into a political sparring match in the House of Assembly today. But it also revealed an uncomfortable truth about a rat problem in the capital city region. Here's some of what went on, starting with questions from opposition House leader and conception-based South MHA, Barry Petten. Overcrowded classrooms, no cafeteria, no ventilation, all contribute to poor learning environment. Speaker, Liberal government has known about these issues for years. Why hasn't anything been done? The Honourable Deputy Premier. Speaker, I cannot let the preamble go. The Premier has been front and centre of every issue in this province since he became Premier. You've just heard two ministers, actually three with me, indicate that the Premier has been involved in this very important uh, fisheries dispute. He is in the Netherlands today on another very important issue, hydrogen. He's leading a very important delegation on this. But trust me when I say he is completely engaged. We all know that there is modern communications making him readily available. He continues to be available. And I would say to the member opposite, the member is completely wrong in this. The Honourable Opposition House Leader. Uh, thank you, uh, Speaker. You know, it's an equally important issue here in this House Assembly that I'm asking a question about right now, and it's about the children and the yeah, teachers. Yeah, yeah. That you wants to get up in her place and on the soapbox and talk about what the Premier's doing, I'm asking a serious question the Minister of Education that people in my district want answers to, and I'll ask it again. Thank you. Order, please. Order, please. The Honourable Deputy, or the Opposition House Leader. Thank you. Speaker, teachers and staff, family and families, teachers, staff and families at Frank Roberts Junior High have spoken out about deplorable conditions at the 54-year-old school. Overcrowded classrooms, no cafeteria, no ventilation, all contribute to poor learning environment. Speaker, the Liberal government has known about these issues for years. Why haven't they done anything? This is the second time. The, the Honourable the Minister of Justice and Public Safety. Thank you, Speaker. And I just want to uh, comment on what, uh, what the member opposite said, is that we weren't uh, responding to the question. But the but the fact is, if they do a preamble and make a statement, and the statement is incorrect, we have a responsibility to respond in the House of Assembly, the People's House, to make sure that the record is correct. Minister of Justice, and ask questions. The ministers, the relevant ministers, will get up and answer the questions. If they want to stand up and say things that are incorrect, like the premier is not involved in the fishery dispute, we have an obligation. The minister of finance. Save your preamble. Save your preamble. Mr. Minister, start to speak. You asked your question? You had the preamble. You had the preamble? It's not a point. It's not a point. He's responding to, he's responding to the question. You have 17, uh, 17 more seconds. 
Minister of Justice, Public Safety. So I just waiting for it to be quiet to give my answer. So I, I, I know, unfortunately, if they don't like the answer again, this seems to be a pattern when I stand up. They get louder when they don't like the correct answer. So we do have an obligation to correct the record. If they want to do preambles instead of questions, we'll respond to the preambles. But we want the preambles to be factual before we respond to questions. Speaker. The honourable the opposition house leader. I'm asking questions of children and students, teachers in my district. You should have the respect to provide the answer, not this nonsense. Speaker, teachers, staff, and families. Order, please. At Frank Roberts Junior High, I've spoken out of a deplorable case at 54-year-old school. Overcrowded classrooms, no cafeteria, no ventilation, all contribute to poor learning environment. Speaker, the Liberal government has known about these issues for years. Why hasn't anything been done? And please give me an answer. The Honourable Minister of Education. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to thank the member opposite for an advance notice of his question. Um, he did actually bring it up at estimates the other day. Um, Frank Roberts is an older school, there's no doubt about it. Over the course of its lifetime, it's had a wing added. It had an extensive envelope refurbishment completely uh, around 14, 15 years ago. Uh, and as a result of some of the comments that were made by the member to my predecessor, uh, a module was attached to the cafeteria area. There is still, as I understand it, some work there to be completed, but certainly we're conscious of the concerns of the member opposite, and with the NLASD, we'll deal with them. We have a great opportunity now to look at all our infrastructure as we bring the schools into the department. Thank you. The Honourable the Opposition House Leader. As Speaker, pictures last week circulated in social media show a bag of Lysol wipes chewed apart by rats that was on the teacher's desk. I have more pictures today showing new couches in the teacher's staff room that are chewed up by rats. So the envelope is not working, the repairs are not working, and the modular is a, is a portable on the side of a gym. That's not fixing problems with rodents and air quality, Mr. Speaker. So the former minister toured the building last year with me and saw the issues first and some of these issues. Again, why is the new school not announced in the budget? The Honourable the Minister of Education. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Our concern, uh, among other things, is for the immediacy of some solutions. My predecessor had been to the school, put in place some remediation. Uh, we have uh, a pest problem in a variety of large buildings across St. John's, particularly at this time of the year. I recall from my previous portfolio issues with the Health Science Centre and the like. There are remedial measures in place with pest control concerning these. Uh, in terms of the other issues with the school, it is an old school, but it is a safe school, and we will continue to work with the principal and with the district to deal with the issues as they arise. Thank you. So there you go, a little bit of uh, audio from the House of Assembly this afternoon. And I think the big takeaway after all of that nonsense back and forth and a little bit of the uh, you know usual uh, bluff and bluster there is the fact that uh, one Frank Roberts Junior High is an old school and needs some attention and two 
there's a rat problem in the Northeast Avalon region. And uh, I don't know about you, Claudette, but that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, it definitely does. Uh, personally, we always have somebody come by our house once a month. So we are we have that under our under control. I'm a big fan of either products or personnel that can help out in this matter because no matter how big and strong you may feel against a little old mice or rat, when you see them, you are frightened. You freak out. <laughs> you freak I, out. I freak out. Yeah. Um, it's an irrational fear, I know. Yeah, but. I think it goes back to our, you know, very early um, developmental <laughs> evolutionary days, which is just, it's normal, I suppose. But my goodness, I, it seems to me over the last couple of weeks, I've seen a lot oh. of rats dead on the road and my thought not knowing anything about the situation uh -huh. my yeah. thought is how many are out there if they're getting hit by cars oh yeah Ugh. yeah i'm Ugh. i'm actually weak now linda Ugh. from this anyway if anyone else has noticed any problems with that uh, they're welcome to give us a call we're up to news time now i'm gonna leave you with a little bit of ub40 Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we're back. And um, our next guests are in um, Nunatsiavut, um, the Nunatsiavut government's Department of Language, Culture, and Tourism has just launched a new program to teach Inutitut to beneficiaries. And they're focusing mainly, they've got a, a website and a resource created with hopes that adult learners, junior high and high school students will benefit the most. Well, our guests today on Ontario Target, our language uh, on target, listen to me, news talk, our uh, language, culture, and tourism minister, Roxanne Barber. Hello, Roxanne. Good afternoon. And uh, Brenda Jararusi is director of culture with the tourism department with the Nunatsiavu government. Hello, Brenda. Hi. So, who wants to start first? Uh, you um, you are uh, offering this um, this program. Are there many Inuktitut speakers in Nunatsiavut now? A lot of our speakers are uh, mainly in the um, senior population. Um, when you come to our communities, um, the language that you hear most is English. Um, but we're making great efforts within our department to um, revitalize, reclaim, promote, and advance Labrador Inutitut. And does the Inutitut that's uh, spoken in Labrador differ from other areas of the north? Um, not really. Um, so Inutitut is the common language spoken by Inuit. So there are four regions of Inuit within Canada, uh, in the Inuvaluit region, Nunavut, Nunavik, and Nunatsiavut. Um, and the common language is Inutitut or Inutut. Um, oh. Is it taught in schools or has it been taught in schools in the past? There was a program with the Newfoundland and Labrador School Board um, before there were some, I guess, departmental changes within the Department of Education within the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, it was the Labrador School District. 
um, I think it was in the late 80s, Beatrice Watts helped develop a Inutidut program um, where there was an immersion, uh, Inutidut immersion class up to grade four, I think it was. And um, however, over the years, you know, our teachers have gotten older. Um, a lot of them are retired now. There are still a few of them that are teaching in the schools, you know, retired and then went back. But um, that I that aspect of the of the school is um, kind of struggling right now due to the lack of, um, I guess, qualified. Uh, teachers. Uh, do you speak um, in Inutitut yourself, Roxanne? Just a little bit. I can understand most of it. Um, I can speak a little bit of it. I, I struggle putting my sentences together, but when I'm around, um, when I'm immersed in it, it comes back to me real quick. Yes, it, it's helpful to be in the environment and where you still have Inutitut speakers. I, I suppose that's somewhat helpful. Yes, of course. Um, Brenda, do you speak Inutitut? I think I'm at a similar level to Roxanne, maybe a little bit less. <laughs> yeah, definitely not fluent, but working to get there. And are, are you both practicing your, your skills or, or, or trying to better your skills? Yeah. Yes, so um, I take the initiative and take it upon myself to use this new amazing resource that um, we've just launched today uh, called Tusalanga. Um, so our department has been working with Bigufik, uh, which is an Inuit organization based out of Iqaluit Nunavut to create um, textbooks in three learning levels. Um, and a website to have this resource available at um, fingertips online. So um, it was created with hopes that adult learners, junior high and high school students will benefit the most. And the textbooks and the website is an amazing resource that will be provided for Inutitut instructors and teachers alike where educators will have access to dialogues, lessons, uh, grammar, and a glossary. So we, I guess we both take it upon ourselves to access this resource, you know, um, continue to expand our, um, I guess, skills in terms of speaking Nunatsavumiudut uh, and understanding it as well. Is there a demand or has there been a demand uh, in the community saying, hey, we'd like to have more of these types of uh, programs at our fingertips? How can we access them? Um, so the department, uh, the Division of Culture, hosted a language summit here in Nain during November of 2019. And out of that stemmed the 2021 to 2026 language strategy, where you can find it online on the Nunatsau government website. And there we heard that um, staff, our staff heard from communities that they wanted more Inutitut resources and available to communities and beneficiaries of the Labrador Inuit Land Claims Agreement. So how can people uh, get involved? 
um, they can go to the website. You can go to tusalanga.ca, that's T-U-S-A-A-L-A-N-G-A dot C-A. Um, we've also just launched the Inutitut Blitz as well. Um, I think it was on the 31st of March. Um, where and it's a campaign aimed at promoting and preserving Nunatsavumutut. Um, it's another initiative of the of our Department of Language and Culture and Tourism. Uh, and we're hoping to engage and encourage Labrador Inuit to learn Inuit through an array of events, activities, and resources, both online and in person. So Tusalanga was a part of that Inuit Blitz, where um, other events such as an Inuit speak-off and a declared Inuit week will provide opportunities for Labrador Inuit and communities to come together in an effort to promote uh, Brenda, it's it's amazing how quickly language skills can be lost from one generation to the next, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And when I was a younger, when I was a kid, I was actually fluent in Inuktitut, and now as an adult, I'm I'm back on the road to learning to become fluent again. It's important, isn't it, uh, for uh, people to recognize that in themselves and saying, "Hey, if I don't do something about this, it'll be lost." Mm-hmm. And that was one of the goals as our department as well, was just to get some resources out there that people use in their own self-learning because we can do what we can as a government, but it's really important for people to take on that initiative on their own just to use their time and energy to learn at home. Absolutely. And anyone can access these uh, resources? Yep, it's free online, and we're going to be offering some classes, um, one as early as next week, for um, the use of these resources. Fantastic. Uh, so we'll be um, uh, linking the, the website to our uh, page if people are interested in that as well. Uh, I want to thank you both for joining us on the show this afternoon. Language, Culture and Tourism Minister with the Nunatsiavut Government, Roxanne Barber, and Director of Culture with the Tourism Department with the Nunatsiavut Government, uh, Brenda Jarrusi. I really appreciate you both be- being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Uh, And uh, that's great. A new program launched to help teach Inutututut in um, the Inunuatsiavut government uh, area and for the beneficiaries in that area and anyone who wants to go online and learn something. It's never too late. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about anti-Semitism. A new proclamation was made in the provincial uh, um, government uh, at Confederation Building today, and we'll tell you the significance of that when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, the provincial government has signed a proclamation adopting the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism in Newfoundland and Labrador. That makes Newfoundland and Labrador, of course, the eighth province to adopt or commit to using the non-legally binding wording definition of anti-Semitism. Immigration Minister Jerry Byrne was joined by leaders from the Jewish community for the proclamation signing today at Confederation Building. We are here to sign a very special proclamation adopting the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's universal working definition of anti-Semitism. The IRHA 
is a united alliance of countries in which governments and experts act in common cause to strengthen, advance, and promote Holocaust education, research and remembrance, and it provides us all with tools to combat anti-Semitism in all of its forms. Today I am joined by leaders in Newfoundland and Labrador's Jewish community. Rabbi Chudinsky will speak on behalf of Chabad of Newfoundland, Dr. Stephen Wolnitz, President of the Jewish Community Havara, as well as Dr. Emmanuel Haven and Barbara Grandy, both of whom represent themselves on behalf of Bethel, uh, Bethel Synagogue. And joining us via Zoom is Mr. Marvin Rotrand, who is in Toronto. This is, uh, Marvin is B'nai B'rith's League of Human Rights National Director. So the IRHA's definition of anti-Semitism reads straightforwardly as follows. Anti-Semitism <clears throat> is a certain perception of Jews which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews. Rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed towards Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property, towards Jewish community institutions and religious facilities. So why exactly is a common definition like this so important? It's my, it's my very strong assertion that we live in a world where anti-Semitism flourishes and continues, where people feel at liberty to deny the very fact that the Holocaust, the systemic murder of over six million Jews at the hands of, of Nazi criminals, coupled with the state-led persecution and murder of other innocent groups such as the Roma, saying this definition out loud and to be true to fighting what it calls out is needed because there are those amongst us, those in this world, ready to replace truth with lies. It is absolutely essential that the tools be put in place by institutions of good to be able to combat anti-Semitism and to never, ever accept that it is ever acceptable. We are here today as a province to formally adopt this definition of anti-Semitism and to continue a clear stand against anyone and any institution of our society that is anti-Semitic. I'd like to thank everyone for being here today, especially my colleague, Mr. John, John Abbott. I'd like now to call on Rabbi Chernitsky to speak on behalf of Chabad of Newfoundland. Thank you, Minister. Good afternoon. <coughs> I'm honored to, um, to be here today for this important event. And uh, I would like to start by thanking Minister Jerry Byrne for the government's actions today. Recognizing the Jewish community's definition and understanding of the uh, bigotry we face is a crucial and deeply moral step. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman of less memory, the foremost uh, Jewish leader of the modern era, taught that education is the first step towards any positive goal. The IRA definition of antisemitism serves as an unmatched education tool to enable our communities to combat hate and to build a community for all. Today, on the Jewish calendar, is Lag Ba'omer. 
the 33rd day of the Omer, when Jews around the world celebrate the life and legacy of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The Rashbi, as he was known, lived in one of the darkest periods in Jewish history. Facing intense bigotry, violence, and hate, the Jewish community feared for their future. Rabbi Shimon responded through education, Jewish pride, and commitment to his faith. It was his strength that helped our people survive those dark days and those same lessons that will ensure our future today. This powerful step in the right direction could not come on a more appropriate day. And I look forward to working with all of you in this room on the next step. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Dr. Steve Wolnitz, President of the Jewish Committee Havara. Thank you. This is an extremely important step. It is not a solution, but it's a step toward a solution, a way of opening discussions in education, preserving the generally and enhancing the generally tolerant society that we have. <clears throat> We're increasingly diverse society, and that involves changes and a certain amount of adjustment. We also live in a world where it is becoming possible to have alternate truths, alternate statements, and to give, which some leaders have given permission to raise hatred, setting groups against each other. This is one step, one of several that need to be taken to ensure that doesn't happen, to ensure that we maintain our province and our country, and ideally our world, although that's a stretch, as open societies tolerant to different practices, different points of view within a larger democratic society. I'd like to thank Minister Byrne and the government of Newfoundland and Labrador for their efforts on behalf of this. It is an important step. Thank you, Stephen. I'd like to invite now Dr. Barbara Grandy, if you would like to say a few words. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. I wish to say that the adoption of the definition, of the, IRA, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism is monumental today. After all, how can we fight anti-Semitism if we don't know what it is? And this has ramifications for police, education, all sorts, all parts of our society. I wish to thank the minister and the Fury government for their vision in adopting this definition. I also see this proclamation today as part of a much bigger picture. While the IRHA, the, I, the IRA definition, applies to the Jewish population, discrimination against other religious groups is inexistent, and I point in particular to the Islamophobia that we are seeing in Canada and throughout the world. I am looking forward to the efforts that Minister Byrne and the government will be making to address the religious and racial discrimination in all forms in the future. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, Dr. Grandy. I'll now ask um, uh, our next speaker, uh, Dr. Emmanuel Heaven, if you would address us. Thank you, uh, Minister Byrne, for giving us the honor to be here and to be uh, part of, of the signatures of this, uh, this important, very important uh, 
uh, event. Um, since we had on, on Sunday the Holocaust uh, Remembrance Day, I permit myself to quote from a, a beautiful text written by uh, Maurice uh, Wolgelerter. It's a, a text uh, entitled uh, Down There, or Primo Levi's Ending, a review essay, which was published in, in a journal called Modern Judaism uh, back in February 1989. Uh, it's, a, it's a journal published by Oxford University Press. It's an essay Dr. Wolgelerter writes on the possible reasons why Dr. Primo Levi, which uh, I think we all know uh, is a ve was a very, very famous uh, author, a victim of the Holocaust, and, and he uh, wrote uh, a couple of very, very important books which were very well uh, diffused around the world. And, and the essay is about uh, why he thinks that Dr. Levi uh, committed suicide in 1987, way, way uh, after uh, he wrote all, all his important books. This is what Primo Levi said amongst the many important things he said about survival and death in the camps. And here I quote, the SS militiamen admonishing their prisoners enjoyed saying cynically, however this war may end, we have won the war against you. None of you will be left to bear witness, but even if someone were to survive, the world will not believe him. And this is exactly what the IHRA definition of antisemitism admonishes against, that is denying the facts, scope, mechanisms, or intentionality of the genocide of the Jewish people. Here is some more from Primo Levi, talking of the Nazis here again. He says, it seems that their morality became so unglued from the moral common to all times and all civilizations that they engaged constantly in schadenfreude, or the joy in one's neighbor's misfortune, the joy of deliberately inflicting pain on the less fortunate. Again, this is exactly what the antisemitism definition clearly condemns, calling for killing or harming of Jews. All this to show that a well-known victim and observer of all this horror, Primo Levi, Dr. Levi, reinforces the importance of having a clear definition of antisemitism. The contents of that definition are for all to see and for nobody to contest. Thank you. So that's some of the audio from uh, that uh, uh, signing proclamation this morning or this over the lunch hour today at uh, Confederation Building. The provincial government today signed a proclamation adopting the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism in Newfoundland and Labrador and the reasons why that is so important and resonates so profoundly still today. Well, um, uh, I don't know if you saw this one earlier today, uh, Claudette. No doubt you did because you keep a very close eye on matters, but Health Canada has issued a public advisory on a product known as water beads. Are you familiar with these things? Oh yeah, I did. See, I read about it, but I'm not familiar with it. Well, I tell you, my son um, one time had this uh, glass of water on the on the <gasps> Oh yes, table. I know what, what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. and I went to grab it and just mm -hmm. toss it into the sink and he's like, no mom, there's a and he used a term and I can't remember what it was. Uh, it was one of these water beads, is what it was. But it was clear; mm -hmm. you could not see it. You had to swish the glass around a little bit to see the disturbance in the water. And it was one of these beads, and it was about the size of a marble, uh, you know, a fair size marble, not a tiny one. Um, and now they've put out this advisory about these uh, things, and they come in various colors. And sometimes they use them in schools and in childcare centers as a like a in a sensory tank, so people can put kids can put their hands in there mm -hmm. and smoosh them around and stuff and it's really 
very sensory. But now there's you know a recall, I mean. as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, uh, it can be very dangerous. They're made out of this gel, and it can continue to grow. They start out with little beads, almost like uh, pellets or mm-hmm. BB BBs, you know. And you put them in the water, and they'll grow into these like marble-sized things. And and they can get even bigger than that in your system. And they, if a child ingests them, and they're usually in these beautiful colors, and how you know, tactile they are and how easy it would be for a child to mistake that for a, a piece of candy or even just the interest of saying, hey, that looks cool. I'm going to put it in my mouth, <laughs> you know. Um, they can cause some real problems. So that advisory went out earlier today. and You'll see the story on VOCM.com with all the um, warnings about it and that sort of thing. So if you happen to have uh, these things in your classroom or in your home or in your school, there is an advisory. Be very, very aware of these uh, Uh, beads and the harms that they can pose. Uh, I don't know if there's any cases here in Canada yet, but there have been numerous cases in the United States where children have required emergency surgery because they ingested one of these things. So I just wanted to let people know about that at the very bitter end of of our show. I want to thank everybody for listening today. Thank you very much for your contributions. We'll be back again tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Have a great day.